Welcome to the Dayspring Audio Library, the teaching ministry of Pastor Daniel Rehoff. Thanks for joining us. We hope this message will have a powerful impact on your life. So sit back and enjoy today's time in the Word. continue on our series uh, called Collision, and it's actually a study of the book of John. Uh, if you got your Bible today, that'd be wonderful. If you don't have a Bible, uh, look in your program. We've got some verses printed out. You can follow along on the screen. encourage you to go online to our podcast or uh, Facebook page and pick up on the messages maybe you missed on this series, but uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John is the book that we're looking in today, and um, it's very practical, I think, very helpful for all of you uh, coming up. You know, I wanted to say really quick, uh, thanks, uh, um, Isaac and Kara uh, with their violin. Kara is an intern from Northland uh, Bible Baptist Church up in uh, north of the Twin Cities and appreciate her being down here for the summer, kind of a summer missions trip. And uh, we actually had five other uh, people from up north, uh, young ladies, come in and work this week and appreciate them. They, they took off a Saturday morning, we headed back up to their church for the weekend and appreciate them being here. And then we had some other students uh, from Daystream Bible College come in the week before and uh, working as like an internship and working uh, as a, like a summer missions project. So appreciate them being here and all of the, the hard work that they do. Just really, really good. It's just really good to see all the young people around here and uh, great things seeing them busting back and forth. You know, um, one of the things that we do at our, um, at our summer camp, we talk a lot about that in the summertime, is we take our kids on different field trips and they, they're here and they, we hop in a bus. We have a beautiful, our church has a beautiful, really nice bus. And um, uh, in order to drive the bus, and those of you that know, those of you that maybe are familiar with over-the-road type of stuff, you have to have a CDL, it's called a CDL, a commercial driver's license. And there's special tests that you have to take to get a commercial driver's license. We do that because I just think it's extremely safe. Uh, we got a very nice bus, and I just want it to be done correctly. Uh, sometimes, you know, you want to just get a bunch of cars or get, you know, a church gets a van or whatever. It's just, they're just dangerous, so a bus is like the safest way to go. So we, we do that on purpose, but... Uh, a couple years ago, when we got the bus, uh, kind of a funny thing that happened to me was um, Luis, do you remember Luis? Luis is down in Chile right now. He's starting a church, uh, planning a church in Chile. Uh, but him and I had to get our CDL bus license. And um, part of the bus license is two part. One is uh, kind of an inspection of the bus. You have to be able to walk around the bus um, and, and look inside the bus and say everything's safe, you know. There's a fire extinguisher, the tires have got air in them, the headlights work, you know, that kind of a thing. And then the second part of the test is the road trip. You actually have to be able to drive the bus. Well, uh, Luis was going to take the test first, and Luis, as you know, is extremely smart. Uh, he's got kind of a photographic memory. He can just look at stuff and memorize it. So Luis read the instruction manual of all the things in the bus that you have to memorize, like all the, the visual things you have to see. And he literally, from memory at the test, just spoke all these things. You know, for instance, uh, the headlights, you know, this blinker works, this headlight works, this taillight works, this tire has got air in it, this, you know, the brake's not leaking, you know, and, and all the components, the muffler's in the right spot, this reflector's in the right spot, you know, these gauges on the dashboard, you have to read all the gauges and say, you know, the engine temperature, you know, oil pressure, uh, the fire extinguisher, the windows, the safety, and you have to go through this whole list of all these things uh, that are parts of the mechanical, physical part of the bus in order to pass the test. Well, he did that because of his photographic memory. 
he did it, and he did a wonderful job. He just literally, because he, he just knew it, you know, from brain. Now, I say that, but I also say this. Luis uh, barely knows how to use a screwdriver. Um, <laughs> he is not mechanical at all. Had he needed to actually, you know, change a tire or put air in a tire, he would have no clue how to do that. But he has got the photographic memory that he could memorize the book and he could go through it. And, and then when it came part to the driving, he's got like no, you know, he had, didn't have much experience driving. And so he said he barely passed the driving. Uh, and so we went out and we spent a lot of time with him teaching him how to drive the bus and making sure, because he just doesn't have experience. Well, so I figured, well, this is easy. You know, Luis did it. I can do this, right? I mean, anything Luis can do, I definitely can do better. That's kind of how I looked at it. So um, now I, for those of you that know me and hang out with me, I'm a little bit of a gearhead. I like to work on motors. I like to work on things. And I have a lot of experience driving. So I knew the driving part of it would not be a problem for me because I just, I just have experience driving trailers and, and big things and so forth. Um, and then the, the, the safety part of it, you know, the mechanical part of it, I just kind of figured, well, I'm like a real mechanical guy. Like, I know all this stuff. I mean, I could just, I mean, I could say, look, the tire's got air in it. I mean, that's not hard, right? You know, and so I, I thought I could just kind of go through it and I could kind of just do that. And the whole time you take a test, do you remember you said when you had to take a driver's license test, you remember how nervous you were? Please pass, please, just anything, Lord, I'll, I'll be a missionary in Africa. I just want to pass this test, you know, <laughs> just get this sort of stuff. And so we get to the, the, the list where she's having me list everything on the vehicle, you know, that's a safety issue, you know. And so I'm sitting down at the, the wheel of the bus, and, and I'm looking at the dashboard, and she's saying, okay, tell me, what are the gauges on the dashboard, and, and what are they doing? And so I list them off, you know. The bus has got gas, you know, the, the engine's on, there's no check engine lights, uh, the oil pressure's good, the oil temperature's good. Uh, the transmission temperature is good. You know, this bus has got gauges, right? All these gauges, you know? And all these things are great. And she says, and? And I'm like, and what? And she's like, and what? I mean, I'm just looking. I'm like, the radio's on? I don't know what, you know, <laughs> the dome light's on? And she's like, and? I just want to pass this test and go home, you know, and she, boy, she's a stickler, um, and uh, I was just like praying, please, just let me pass this stupid test, because I got everything else right, and she says, she says, and, I thought, and what? She goes, what about what's called the voltmeter? Now, a voltmeter is, some of your cars have it, like your battery, is it charging, you know, like plus minus, you see like a little 12 on there, and I said, <laughs> this vehicle doesn't have a voltmeter. And she says, yes, it does. And I said, no, it doesn't. And we got a little tiff right there. And she said, yes, every bus has a voltmeter. And I said, this is a Ford. It doesn't have a voltmeter. There is no voltmeter in the vehicle. And she's like, well, tell me. Tell me that the voltmeter's okay. Tell me that the, the charging system's okay. The voltmeter's fine. <sighs> it doesn't have a volt. I thought she was, like, really testing my knowledge. I thought this was like a real quiz, you know? I'm like, please, just say that I passed. Can we just be done with this? Just give me my license. Let's go on. And, and, and I, just wanted, I just wanted her to say, you know, Dan, you're a good driver. You got what it takes. You can do this, you know? And she says, you need to tell me that the voltmeter says the, the charging system's okay. Ma'am, I'm sorry. There is no voltmeter on this thing. I mean, she goes, but you need to still tell me. And I'm like, ah, fine, the voltmeter's fine, you know, whatever. She goes, no, you don't really know where the voltmeter is. I'm not going to pass you on this test. Okay, so I came back, and I talked to a bunch of people, and I said, 
you guys look at this dashboard. Does anyone see a voltmeter? And I talked to like five people, professionals. And they're like, there is no voltmeter on this vehicle. There, there is no voltmeter. And I said, how did Luis pass it? So I asked Luis. He goes, I have no idea. He said, I just remembered that the test said you have to say the voltmeter's okay. So I just said the voltmeter's okay. <laughs> so you, you lied and you passed the test. And he's like, basically, yeah. Fine. So I went back to take the test, and I just said, and by the way, just so you know, the voltmeter says the charging system's great. And she's like, boom, you passed. <laughs> I'm like, welcome to bureaucracy, right? But, but all I wanted, right, was for her to say, you're good enough, or you did it, or you passed. You ever been in a situation like that, where you just wanted someone to say, you know, I've noticed, or you're okay? Maybe, maybe you were on sports. How many of you remember being on sports back in high school or college, and you sat on the bench? Uh, if you're like me, you kind of sat on the bench a little bit. And you just wanted the coach to recognize you. How do you remember that? You'd be like, please, coach, I'm tired of riding the bench. Just call me into the game. Pick me, choose me, say I'm okay, say, say I can do this. You know, we've all been there. We've all had that happen. We've had those moments in our life. Um, I think for some of us, maybe it was a moment with your parents. Uh, maybe you just wanted, you know, your dad to say he was proud of you. And you're like, just say it, just say it, just say it. It's like sometime in your life, can you just say it? Uh, maybe uh, some of you ladies, you wanted, I don't know, your, your dad just to say, you know, you're the cutest little girl in the whole world, and he just never said it, or you're, you know, you're okay just the way you are, or I wish my mommy would have said that, you know, you're just, you know, you're a sharp-looking kid, um, and, and or, or, or sometimes I think the guys, you know, they want to hear, you know, son, you know, you have what it takes, son, you can be something, but for some people in this room, you never had that. You never had someone say something just really clear like that, or, or you were never kind of picked or never kind of reaffirmed that everything was okay, and uh, you work so hard at stuff, and you, you never got the okay. Um, maybe you're at your job now, and you just wish your boss would notice you. I see some heads shaking. <laughs> yeah, you say, you know, I come in early. I stay late. I do what's required of me. I don't do all this. You know, I'm, I'm never complaining. I'm never asking for a raise. You know, when is my boss going to notice me? When's she going to notice me? And your boss never notices you. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, you've been there, and, and you kind of go to work, and you'll say, man, I just wish someone would see that. Or, or maybe when you were young and you were dating, and uh, guys, uh, you know, you wish that the girl would notice you. Well, you know, I did this, or I won this award, or I, I did good on sports, or I was part of this, or I got a new outfit on, or I got a new car. And I just wish that that boy or that girl would notice me. I just wish that someone would recognize me and say, you know what, you're awesome. You have what it takes. You're good. And, and it never happened. And sometimes for, for a lot of people, that's a little bit devastating. It's a terrible, terrible feeling, I think, to be ignored. It's a terrible feeling when you just want approval. You want someone to notice you. You want someone to see the potential that you have. You want someone to trust in you. You want someone to say, you know, literally, you have what it takes. And, you know, get off the bench, go in and play. You just kind of want to be that person that's called upon. You want to be the person that's just recognized. And, and not, not to be the best in the class, but... You just don't want to be lonely. You want people to appreciate what you do. You know what I'm talking about? You have that? Sure. All of us are shaking our heads and you're saying, yeah. Today we're going to look at a story in the Bible. If you've got your Bible, uh, this is called When God Collides with My Destiny. We're in the book of John, John chapter 1. We're going to talk about this a little bit uh, uh, in this message we're going to have today in our continuation of the study. We're going to pick up at verse 35 in John chapter 1. And and we're going to talk about some guys that I think kind of had the same feeling. They wish that someone would have just recognized them or seen them from what they were and, and, and uh, uh, were willing to do some great things for God and didn't let anything stand in their way. So if you've got your Bible, let me kind of set the stage. We're going to start in verse 35, but let me set the stage for you just so you kind of understand. Um, Jesus, 
Jesus is being introduced in the book of John here. He was just in the wilderness for 40 days. He had just uh, before that been baptized by John the Baptist. And now along in our story here, we're getting ready uh, to meet these five simple men, these five guys here, who's, who's really their greatest desire, uh, desire kind of each one of us sometimes in life, is just to be noticed and to be, to be seen. So John chapter 1, let's start at verse 35. Jesus is going to meet these five different guys. Let's see who they are, and let's kind of get ourselves introduced to who they are. Look at verse 35. And the next day after John stood and two of his disciples, that's John the Baptist, and looking upon Jesus as he walked, they said, Behold, the Lamb of God. And the two disciples heard him speak, and they followed Jesus. Then Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What seek ye? Now get this. They said unto him, Rabbi, which is to say, being interpreted master, where dwellest thou? He saith unto them, Come and see. They came and saw where he dwelt and abode with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. So pause here for just a second, and let me just have your attention on this. So look at the story here. The first guy that Jesus calls, these, these two guys are actually guys that are actually seeking him. They hear about Jesus, and, and they're like, you know, we need to meet this guy face to face. We need to get to know who this Jesus is. And they see Jesus, they approach him, they worship him. They call him rabbi, which is to say like teacher or master, or great one. And then they ask the guy, uh, they ask Jesus, so where are you staying? Now, that's kind of an interesting thing. Um, they're, they're not wanting to kind of just do the selfie moment with Jesus. Remember we talked about the book of John. The book of John is really kind of a snapshot of really who God is and who Jesus is because the world's view is so warped. John's writing this to, to make it really clear this is who the loving God is. Well, these two guys aren't just saying, you know, hi, Jesus. You know, we just want a picture with you and let's go. They actually ask them, you know, where are you staying? You know, we want to hang out with you. We want to spend time talking with you. We want to be with you, and, and we want to abide with you. We want to get to know who you are. We want to stay up all night if it is necessary, and we want to find out who it is that you are and really kind of establish this relationship with who Jesus is. And um, pause on that for a second. I think there's something here to really learn. I think a lot of times we're hoping to really kind of get to know who Jesus is and really kind of fall in love with Jesus but all we do is show up at church and kind of check the box. Maybe you kind of show up at church and you, you check in online. Well, I was at Dayspring today. Okay, yay, you're at Dayspring today. That, that's good. But have you ever really taken any intention, any time to really say, I really want to get to know who my Heavenly Father is. I really want to spend quality time with Him. You know, maybe you say, well, I prayed at lunch today. Isn't that enough? Well, nothing wrong with praying at lunch. But is that really getting to know who Jesus is? Well, I, I thought about Jesus once today. Uh, okay, okay, that's good, you know. Or, well, I showed up on Saturday and I helped with the cleaning crew. Well, that's nice. Side note, it's nice to help out at church. It's nice to volunteer at your church. Showing up at church on Saturday to help clean is not going to church. Sunday morning is going to church, okay? So being at church, what you're doing right now, those of you that are here are here, you're part of church. You're here. You're, you're having an opportunity. You're opening up the Bible. You're trying to get to know who God is. But, but, but just going here to come on a, a weekday and volunteer, yeah, maybe physically you're at church, but, but you're not at church. You know, you may be at the building. But being here on a Sunday, I think, is a really important thing. You're, you're here to learn. You're here to study. You're here to, to get to know who this God is. We're in this Bible study together today to try to get to know who Jesus is. Look at verse 40. 
One of the two which heard John speak and followed him, now, now look at this, so one of the two which heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. Now, when we read this, there's two people here. One of them we know is Andrew, and look at the qualification of who he is. He's Simon Peter's brother. So who is the other guy? Well, I think, I think from deduction, I think a lot of scholars believe, well, obviously it would be John, the author of the book, not John the Baptist, but he doesn't mention his own name. So it's like I'm there, and then Andrew, this other guy, who is Simon Peter's brother. Now we know John. John was known as the beloved disciple, but Andrew, what's Andrew known as? Look at the, right there in that verse. He's known as Simon Peter's brother. <laughs> I, I don't know. I just kind of think that's funny. I mean, we always talk about John. You know, John was the first to follow Jesus. You know, John was the beloved disciple. John this, John that. Andrew here, you know, in all four Gospels, uh, time and time and again, you always read that he's the brother of Simon Peter. <laughs> it's like, I think Andrew's just happy, like, can you just mention my name, please? I, I mean, everyone knows who John is, but it's Andrew. Oh, yeah, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. Oh, yeah, that guy. Yeah, Simon Peter's brother. Oh, yeah, we kind of know him, you know. <laughs> but some of you that are middle children, you know exactly what I'm talking about? You know, you got the older brother. That was with our boys, Bryce and Cole. It was always like Cole got introduced as what? This is Cole. He's Bryce's younger brother, right? How many of you are middle children? How many of you are youngest of the family? I am. Yeah, and you were introduced as like someone else. <laughs> you know, your, your qualification, your claim to fame was your older brother or sister, you know, mine was that because my brother was in, was in high school when I was just a little guy. And it was just, oh, yeah, you know, this is Brian's brother. You know, Brian the jock on the team. Brian the, you know, the athlete. Brian the cool guy with the cool race car. You know, everything was about Brian. It was like, hi, you know, <laughs> what about me? You know, I'm Brian's brother. Well, that's kind of how Andrew is here a little bit. Uh, he's, not some, he's not some huge leader. He's a great guy. He doesn't preach any sermons that are recorded in the Bible. He doesn't perform any miracles in the Bible. But we can learn a lot from Andrew if we were to study out his life, how humble he is. He's always there to serve. And, um, but what's interesting, I think, what we're going to see in the next verse is something very unique about Andrew. Andrew is the first person to tell someone else about Jesus. Now, this week we've been at the fair, and you've had a lot, a lot of you had a chance to be at the fair and tell people about Jesus. I think that's great. I think we take it kind of for granted because we can do that easily here in America. But here's Andrew, and, and he's the first guy to share his faith. Go down to verse 41. He first finds his own brother, Simon. So Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, goes, and the first person he tells about Jesus, and the first person he shares about Jesus is his brother, and says unto him, we found the Messiah, which is being interpreted the Christ. We found this. Verse 42. And he brought him to Jesus. And when Jesus beheld him, he said, Thou art Simon, the son of Jonah. Thou shalt be called Cephas, which is by interpretation a stone. Now, in our study of the book of John, in other studies we've done, those of you that have been here and faithfully attended and faithfully learned, we, we know a lot about Peter. We've, we've talked about the books he's written in the past. Uh, we've done complete studies on those. Peter was obnoxious. Peter was a loud mouth. Peter... Uh, uh, was going to be, you know, kind of a, an anchor to Jesus' ministry. But it's interesting because, because Jesus knows Peter is going to be a guy with a short fuse. He knows that Peter's a guy with a big mouth, um, but he also knows Peter's going to be a person that has great possibilities, great potential. And Jesus doesn't, you know, sign him off at the beginning and like, oh, you're Peter? You're Andrew's brother? Oh, brother. All right. 
come on. You know, <laughs> you know I can do that. You know, I mean, you know you're going to be a short fuse. You're going to be a loud mouth. You're going to cause a lot of problems. No. I know where you're at. I know what the struggles are you got. But I'm still calling you out here to serve me. I'm still calling you to follow. I'm still, I still want you to be part of this. Because there's really great potential in what you can do, Peter. Go down to the verse, next verse, verse 43. The day following, Jesus would go forth into Galilee and find Philip and says unto him, follow me, verse 44. Now Philip was of Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. So the first two guys came and found Jesus. I think that's interesting. Peter, though, as we know, was introduced to Jesus by his brother. Um, but uh, these next guys, Jesus went out and Jesus was the guy that found these next two people. And he said, hey, come and follow me. Now look at verse 45. Philip finds Nathanael. And says unto him, we found him of whom Moses and the law and the prophets did write. Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph, verse 46. And Nathanael said unto him, can there be any good thing that comes out of Nazareth? Nazareth was the, was the town. It'd be like saying, you know, can any good thing come out of Pewaukee or Waukesha? That's what, kind of what he's saying. And Philip says unto him, come and see, come and see, verse 47. Jesus saw Nathanael coming to him and said unto him, behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there's no guile, verse 48. Nathanael says unto him, Whence knowest thou me? Jesus answered and said unto him, Before that Philip called thee, when thou wast under a fig tree, I saw thee. Nathanael answered and said unto him, Rabbi, thou art the Son of God, thou art the King of Israel. Jesus answered and said unto him, Because I said unto thee, I saw thee under the fig tree, believest thou? Thou shalt see greater thing than these, so hang on to your, your seat there. Better things than this is what's going to come. Verse 51. And he said unto him, Verily, verily, or truly, truly, I say unto you, Hereafter you shall see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. So pause there just for a second and let's look at these five guys. So there's, there's this passage here. There's five different people. There's these five guys. They have different reactions to their experience meeting Jesus. They're, 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 they're interacted with differently. Jesus uh, treats them differently. They have different personalities. But in the end, in the end, we know this. They're all students of Jesus. They're all disciples of Jesus. Different guys, different backgrounds. They're introduced differently, different ways they, they come to Jesus. But we know that there's something deep in the story here that we have to look at for a moment. And I, a point I want to make here and I want you to get. Think about these five guys just for a minute. This, this kind of hit me. These five guys, what's their nationality? Does anyone know? They're all the same. They're all Jewish. They're all from Jewish families. These are all Jews. Now, if you know anything about the Jewish culture uh, back in, in that time when the first century Jewish men, when, when they were growing up, when, when these five guys, as all Jewish uh, males, you were growing up, you were being taught by a rabbi. You were being taught the Torah, okay? And, 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 and you were being taught uh, the Old Testament scriptures. Now, we won't spend time there for the sake of time, but at each different age or each different stage of, of growth, you know, in, your, in, in growing up, you would have different responsibilities being taught by the rabbi. You would have to learn different passages. You would have to memorize parts of the Torah. And, and as you got up and as you got older, you would learn and memorize, learn and memorize. And, and you know, you, you literally spent all these years up to you were probably 13, 14, or 15 under the tutelage of a rabbi. And you would be learning the scriptures all day, every day, practicing, serving over and over again. And, and you would be doing this. And then Somewhere around, uh, uh, around 14 or 15 years old, 
uh, something would happen. Something would take place. And, and, and let me back up on this. Your parents would help you or would, would pick for you a rabbi that they had in their town. And if they liked the rabbi, if they liked the rabbi's interpretation, if they liked how the rabbi was, that's how they would pick their young child to work with this rabbi. If you followed, now get this, if you followed the rabbi, if you followed his teachings, because every rabbi had a little different interpretation of the Torah and how it was to be applied, how you were to live out your life, how you were to practice your faith, okay? It was called a yoke, a yoke. Think of two oxen, you know, and they have a yoke over their neck. So if you followed a rabbi, you would, you would be literally what was called taking the rabbi's yoke. In other words, what the rabbi is teaching I will carry, I will take, I will learn, I will disciple myself in this, I'll, I'll, I'll become a student of his, and then I will share that out to the public as well. So the rabbi was training up, really, future rabbis, future people in the ministry, and the rabbi would drill you over and over again, and then around 14 years old or so, if the rabbi said, you know what, you got what it takes, and you got what it takes, and you got what it takes. You three, you four, you five, follow me. And, 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 and literally it would be called, you know, I'm taking the yoke of the rabbi. You know, I'm following him. I'm a student. I'm a disciple of this master. But now think of it. There's, there's thousands of, there's millions of Jewish boys growing up. You got it. You got it. I can call on you and count on you and count on you. But the rest of you, I don't need. You're gone. You're done. You don't have what it takes. You, you can't make it in this. You're, you're, this, this was like, like the high calling. I mean, if you could work with a rabbi and you had a good rabbi, you had a powerful rabbi, you had a well-known rabbi, you know, if you had something like that, boy, this was a big deal to the family and it was like an honor, it was a big thing. But here we have these five Jewish guys. Now think about it. What are these five Jewish guys doing? None of them, none of them have a rabbi. None of them are carrying the yoke of a rabbi. What are they doing? They're fishermen. <laughs> I guess I didn't make it in rabbi school. I guess I got to go be a fisherman, right? So it wasn't like they were bankers or had some prestigious job or they were lawyers or architects or something like that. No one wants me. No one needs me. I guess I'm going to be a fisherman. Think about that life for just a moment. Just pause for a second and think about it. How many lakes are in Israel? One. Sea of Galilee. Dead Sea doesn't have any fish in it because it's dead. That's the name. So it wasn't like they were fishing on the ocean. It wasn't like they lived out, you know, on the west coast or the east coast and they could make a living fishing. It's like we have one lake to fish from. This is it. This is a pretty tough life. And we're going to catch fish. What kind of, how many different kinds of fish? Like one. Like this is all we're going to do. We're just going to fish all day. They didn't have all the modern technologies you have today. So, so you're not following a Jewish rabbi. That means at some point in, in your life someone told you you are not good enough. You don't have what it takes. You're not needed. You just go fend for yourself, do the best you can. But, but then in the stories, you're seeing these stories, uh, and the story unfold here in John chapter 1. What happens? They meet the rabbi, the teacher whose name is Jesus. He's from Nazareth. And what does Jesus say to them, which literally no one else has said to them? You got what it takes. Come follow me. He tells them, you, you follow me, take, take my yoke. Your, your, your destiny was to be fishermen. One of just the most menial jobs out there, just, you know, well, you're a fisherman, you're going to work on the docks, you're going to work on the pier, that's all you can do. And yet Jesus sees something and he sees a value and he sees a purpose in them, and, and Jesus literally collides with these five guys, there's a collision, he says, follow me, 
follow me, follow me, follow me. And, and these guys from nothing are now following this rabbi teacher who, guys, remember, they still don't really get who this guy is. They just don't get it. All I know is this guy thinks we're worth something. This guy thinks we have value, and they felt it enough that it was like, you know what? I'm going to drop my fishing nets. I'm going to leave my boat. I'm going to leave all my possessions. I'm going to leave all that, and I am going to follow this guy named Jesus. Now, interesting, interesting. For all of us living today that are Christians, you've accepted Christ as your Savior, there's something we all have in common with these five guys. Jesus asked all of us, to follow him, okay? None of us are exempt. Jesus doesn't say, well, I want some of you to follow me and some of you not. He wants all of us to follow him. It doesn't mean we're all going to be rabbis or we're all going to be pastors. Of course not. But there is a command in scripture. There's a, a, an implication throughout all of scripture that I want you to be my disciple. I want you to be my student. I want you to take my yoke upon you, to take my teachings upon you, and your job is to go into all the world and preach the gospel to share what I've been teaching you. Interesting, we have something that those five guys didn't have, and that is this. We have the New Testament. We have everything that Jesus wanted us to know for all mankind, for all of eternity, right here in front of us, and Jesus says, you know what? I want you to follow me, and I want you to tell the world about this, okay? And it's not just for some Christians, it's for all Christians. It is, there's no one exempt from it, it's for all of us. I was thinking, though, as I was studying on this, why, 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 are some, why, why, why do we live a life that sometimes we don't follow Jesus? Why do some people, and you know this type too, they, they trust in Christ as Savior, but they never do anything about following Jesus. They, they, never, they never attend church, they never get serious, they never share their faith, they never grow in their faith, they never raise a family in a Christian walk. And, and you may not tell them from an unsaved person, they may look just like someone from the world. Why is it that some people don't follow Jesus? I mean, why? Why do some people follow Jesus and other people don't follow Jesus? You know, some people teach, uh, basically a Calvinist would teach that if you're saved, you will follow, you will obey. I, listen, I know a lot of Christians that don't follow Jesus. I used to do a prison ministry in Illinois, and every Tuesday night I'd go to the prison, and there were some guys in there that absolutely positively, no ifs, ands, or buts about it, had trusted Christ as their Savior. Some of those guys in jail knew the Bible better than I did. They had, they had books of the Bible memorized. What are you doing in jail? Well, why do some people follow Christ? Why do some people go to the mission field and some people, as Christians, end up doing nothing? Maybe some people just even end up in jail. Just, I don't want to follow Christ. Why? I wrote down a couple things. This is not an exhaustive list, but here's a couple things I think people don't follow Jesus. The first one, write this there in your notes. The first one is this. I think because of fear. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7 says, For God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Some people say, you know what, if I were to serve Jesus, if I was sold out for Jesus, you know what would happen? I'd have to go to Africa and be a missionary. I hate Africa. I don't want to go to Africa. But I know if I follow Jesus, he's going to call me to go to Africa. Time out. Let me just help you on something. You decide to follow Jesus with your life, and you hate Africa. Guess what? God's not going to call you to Africa. Why? Because you just told him you hate Africa, <laughs> right? Why would, it's just like, well, if I serve at church, if, if I volunteer at church, they're going to make me teach, you know, the, the, the junior high boys Sunday school class. I don't want to teach junior high boys Sunday school class. I can't stand those snotty no kids. Don't worry. You don't have to teach the junior high boys Sunday school class. Why? Because you just told me you hate it. You don't want to do it. We're not going to pick you to do it. Don't worry about it. But sometimes fear keeps us from doing those things. Well, well if I follow Jesus, I'm going to have to marry, you know, a nerd. Possibly. <laughs> 
My wife did. She's okay, surviving. <laughs> if I follow Jesus, I'm going to have to be poor. Well, why do you say that? Listen, I, I followed Jesus. I, you know, I made a clear decision when I was a young man. I don't know what God has for me. I'm just going to serve him. It had nothing to do, nothing to do with, with, um, with getting money or, or having a nice house. I can praise the Lord now. I have a very nice house. I have nice cars. I have, God has blessed me way more above, above what I should ever be blessed. But that's not because I was looking for it, but that's just because God is blessing me. Where, where do you have it in your mind that, well, just because I'm going to serve God, I'm going to have to be poor? Or, or just because, you know, I decide to do something great for God, you know, it's going to be torture or something. You know, I never had plans, I've told you this story, to start this church. When I went to Bible college, I just said, I don't know what I'm supposed to do, but I just know I'm supposed to go to Bible college because God has a plan for me. I don't know what it is. I literally didn't know what it was. I was a graphic artist. I actually got training in graphic arts. I headed up a, uh, a, a commercial printing department. We had a, a huge printing press and a lot of equipment, about 15 people on staff. In that time of that doing that, we printed literally millions of gospel tracts in all different languages that were used all over the world. And I thought, well, this is just great. This is just a wonderful thing. This is what God's called me to do. But in the middle of that, you know, my parents were telling me, my dad was telling me, you need to get a business degree. You need to do this. You'll never be okay. You'll never make it. You know, life is not going to be good. Your life is going to stink. Psalms chapter 34, verse 8, always stuck out of my mind. It says, oh, taste and see that the Lord is what, church? The Lord's good. God's desire for you, church, is to do good for you. God's not up in heaven saying, I, my goal is to make your life miserable. It doesn't mean you're going to be rich. doesn't mean you're going to drive a new car. doesn't mean you're going to have a new house. But God's always good, and God does good things. You may not think it. You may not look at it. But God's desire for you is for good, not for evil. I have a plan for you to give you the expected end. Uh, taste and see that the Lord is good. God's always good. And, and, and I've had people say to me, say, you know, Pastor Dan, you know, if I, I'd go in the ministry if I knew, you know, I'd end up like you. <laughs> you know, they think, okay, you have a big church, you have a lot of property, you know, have a lot of 40 people on staff. You know, wait, 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 time, time out, time out. Maybe God doesn't have a big church for you. Maybe God has you in a mission field somewhere. You know, I don't know. But, but I didn't start this church because someday it's going to have a big building, have a lot of land, or have a lot of staff, or have a multi-million dollar budget. That was not the, that was never, never in the radar. That's God being good in his time, in his way, how he wants to do it. It has nothing to do with Dan Rehoff. But sometimes we get fearful, say, I'm not going to serve God because what if God doesn't bless me like, like he blesses someone else? Or what if God doesn't have me do something great like that? You know, I don't think God's going to drag you kicking and screaming sometimes all the way to Africa because if God knows, you know, he's going to give you a desire of your heart and you're going to say, you know what, this is something that God's given to me. I can do this. It's something I want to do. You know, um, and this is something I, I feel natural about doing. So don't, don't be afraid of your future don't, don't be so worried about your future. Don't be so fearful about your future. Our attitude, the attitude of these five guys was like, fine, I'm here. I'll follow you. I'll serve. Church, that ought to be our, our attitude. How about the second one? I think a reason sometimes people don't serve and sometimes people won't follow Jesus is because of selfishness. Matthew chapter 16, verse 24. Then said Jesus unto his disciples, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. You want to be my student? Again, he's not talking about salvation. He's talking about being a disciple, being a student. Fine, you're going to have to deny yourself. There's some things in life you're going to have to say, you know what? Dan Rehoff wants this, but you know what? That's not the best for Dan Rehoff, okay? I remember Dr. Scudder told me when I was in Bible college, he'd given a chapel one time. When God was calling him into the ministry, this was my pastor, 
pastor at Quentin Road Baptist Church before he passed away. He was young. He was dating Linda, which ended up being his wife. And they were out driving around one day. They grew up in Florida. And they were driving around in Florida, and, and, and Linda looked out the car window, and she said, oh, look, that beautiful little house has got a white picket fence. And she said, someday I want to have a house with a white picket fence. <laughs> and Dr. Scudder, literally, he says, he slams on the brake, and he's like, opens the door. He's like, get out. It's like, what? She's like, he's like, no. Our calling is to serve God, whatever it is. What, what do you mean, have a white picket fence around your house? We're not doing this to have a white picket fence around the house. We're not doing this to have, have the American dream. And, and if your desire is to have a white picket fence around your house, you need to get out of the car right now because we're not continuing this dating relationship anymore because that's not why we're going to serve the Lord. We're not serving him with this condition that someday I want a white picket fence around my house. No, there's nothing wrong if you have a white picket fence around your house. I tell you what, though, uh, Linda never said that again. She, she said, okay, I guess this guy's pretty serious about this, you know. Uh, but, but sometimes we say that, say, well, I won't have the money, I won't have the girlfriend, I won't have the boyfriend, I won't have the status, I won't have the popularity, what's everyone going to say, what about all my cool friends, what about your cool friends, who cares about your cool friends, now, when I, uh, when I was in, in junior high, I was in a Christian school, there was 10 of us in a Christian, in the, in the junior high, um, the year after junior high, we used to have a junior high graduation, that summer, nine of them, nine of them dropped out of the school and went to a government school, went to a public school. Well, that was kind of a big deal. I mean, there's 10 of them, and then nine of them are gone. I'm the only kid left in, in, in freshman class in this Christian high school. I'm the only freshman. You say, Pastor, how could you have a school that's small? Wait, time out, time out, hold on. Where in the Bible does it say you have to have, big, have, to have a big Christian school? Is there any verse in the Bible? Those of you that are homeschool, where does it say you have to have a lot of kids in your homeschool? I mean, those are numbers we make up. Nowhere in the Bible does it say in order to be successful, you have to have a certain number. It just doesn't say it. But I remember. I just remember absolutely thinking, saying, wow, that's kind of a big deal. And, and the reason that they pulled out was, well, we need better education, or we need to have these sports teams, or we need to have all these other peripheral things, and we need all these things because our kids are so smart, they're so great, they're going to do great things. This last year or two, I looked up those nine kids. I'm curious. They, they were so, they, they couldn't go to a Christian school. You know, they stopped going to church, but we're, our kids are so great. They're so smart. We need this other stuff. So I've, I looked it up, and I was expecting to find, you know, this guy was in Tesla. This guy, you know, went to Harvard. You know, this guy works at Mayo Clinic. So I, one of them committed suicide. One of them's an all-out, full-blown drug addict on a park bench. Most of them were alcoholics. A couple of them have been married a few times. One of them's been married three times. None of them own a business. None of them are successful in the world's eyes. They're just everyday, regular old people. And I sit there and say, wow, the parents got on board with each other saying, well, we need something better, and yet none of them turned out to do anything for Jesus. They barely turned out to do anything for the world. I mean, in the world's eyes, you, you just yawning to say, what? You know, I've had that when all my years in, 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 in the ministry. Well, our kids, you know, they're going to be a doctor. Okay, great. I've yet to know someone become a doctor that dropped out of a Christian school. I've known people that stayed in a Christian school and become a doctor. But to pull out of a Christian school or pull out of a church because you're going to be a doctor, I've just never seen God bless that. Now, parents, just pause for a second. Think about that. Aren't you glad? Now think. Aren't you glad that my mom wasn't fearful that she didn't follow the crowd and pull me out of a Christian school? Now think. Now just think. Had she pulled me out of a Christian school, where would you be sitting right now? You'd be sitting in the middle of the cornfield. You, you would. What about the fair this week? 
So far, 100 people have gotten saved. Praise God. I mean, amen, church. 100 people got saved. Would, now, just think. This church wouldn't have been at the fair to lead those people to Christ if 30 years ago my mom had pulled me out of a Christian school because I definitely wouldn't be here, guys. Right? Now, think. Now think those 100 people that got saved so far at the fair throughout all of eternity aren't going to be thanking me. They're going to be thanking who? They're going to be thanking my mom for not following the crowd and pulling them out of a Christian school, right? But, but all those years I've known, all those years that I've done it, I've never seen someone that's pulled out for the wrong reasons, you know, not to go to a different Christian school or not to do a homeschool or something better, but they pulled out out of a bad attitude or we need something better than that. I've never seen them do anything with their life. And I looked them up. Now you got Facebook, you can look that up. It's like, it's terrible. It's like, it's like worse than what the world has. Why? Because Christian kids are held to a different standard than the world's kids. Why? Because they're child of God. That's why. Parents, you're a Christian, you're held to a different standard than the world is. Well, how come the world can get away with this and do this? Because they're not children of God. That's why. God punishes those who are what? Those who are his children. Christian school kids, God expects a whole lot more from you than he's expecting from the unsaved kids down the block. Why? Because you're a child of the king. He's, he's holding you to a different level than, than, than what the world's holding you to. Just absolutely positively. 1 Corinthians 7.23, you are bought with a price. Be not servants of men. Well, parents, we've got to stop and ask, who's our boss, really? Why are you so concerned about what the world says? Parents, stop being so concerned about what the world says. Just stop. Stop being so concerned about what the world says. You're so consumed about the world. Let me give you an encouragement. Turn off Facebook. That, that's the number one cause of anxiety, the number one cause of stress, is your comparison. Well, look what my cousin's doing. Look what my aunt's doing. Look what my neighbors are doing. Who cares? Your child, your child are Christian. They ought to be doing Christian things. You need to raise them in the nurture and admonition of the Lord to do Christian things. That's what you need to be doing. So, so don't be so fearful of the world. Don't, don't, and realize, you know, there's going to be some self-denial. There's going to be some things maybe I won't be able to do. Some things I won't want to do because I'm a Christian, because I want to be a follower of Jesus. The last one will be done for the sake of time. Number three, the lack of empowerment by the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. But you shall receive power after that. The Holy Ghost has come upon you. You shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and the uttermost parts of the earth. Sometimes we're so mature, we're lacking leading by the Holy Spirit. Parents, don't ever just think that you bring your kids to Sunday school, they're going to be spiritual. You cannot raise spiritual kids on just one hour a week at Sunday school. Parents, don't ever think just because you homeschool your kids, they'll be spiritual. Just because you homeschool your kids doesn't mean they're spiritual. It doesn't. Well, I'm going to roll them in a Christian school. <laughs> Great. Don't ever think you roll your kids in a Christian school, they're going to be spiritual. You're going to roll, well, I'm going to roll them up at Falls. I got a very conservative Christian school. I'll roll them up there. Great. It doesn't make them spiritual. Okay? Spirituality is here. It's not in the building you attend, it's not the, it's not the math uh, curriculum that you have or the English curriculum. Spirituality is in here. Don't, don't think, well, I'm going to enroll them somewhere and it'll make them spiritual. Those of you that go to college, a lot of kids going to Christian college and stuff, that's wonderful, that's great. Don't think going to a Christian college is going to make you spiritual. I know a lot of graduates from Maranatha right down the road here. I know an awful lot of really good uh, graduates from Maranatha, and I know some absolute disasters that I'm embarrassed to even know that they're a Christian. They're terrible. Why? Because that building doesn't make anybody spiritual. I know kids that, that go to Hiles Anderson. Great school. Great school. 
I have some that are wonderful that are knocking out of the park, great Christian servants, wonderful. I also know some that are absolute disasters that I wouldn't even want in this church. They're terrible. Why? Because it's not a building that's going to make someone spiritual. You know, kids that go to Dayspring Bible College, you know, kids that go to Pensacola, just because you go to a building doesn't make you spiritual, okay? You have to be empowered and led and submit to the Holy Spirit's leading in your life. Parents, that happens here with your children. Mom and dad, that happens with you right here. Well, I'm, I went to church, it makes me spiritual. My kids are homeschooled, it makes me spiritual. My kids went to Bob Jones, it makes them spiritual. No, it doesn't. Get that out of your mind. Well, if my kids went to that college, it'd be spiritual. No, it no, get that out of your mind. Spirituality is here. I'll tell you what 95% of spirituality is. Write this down. 95% of spirituality is submission. Submission to God's leading in your life. Submission to the spiritual authority in your life. You want to be spiritual? Great. Then start submitting to the spiritual authority that God's put in your life. Whatever that is, wherever that is. Whether it's at a Christian school, homeschool, at a college, at a Christian college, at a church. God's put a spiritual leader in your life. You need to be submissive to that. Not stupid, not foolish, not dumb. But if God's leading you in something like that, and you're being empowered by the Holy Spirit, that's where you'll find you'll be a successful student, a successful follower of Christ. But a lot of times, we're so stubborn, we don't want to follow Christ, we want to do it our way. <laughs> you know how you can find out how spiritual you are? I'll tell you real quick how you can find out how spiritual you are. You find out how spiritual you are, spiritual you are the moment you're told no. We all like to be told yes. The moment you're told no, you find out exactly where you're at. Ugh, no one tells me no. That's it. I'm leaving. Oh, okay. You just revealed. You just revealed who you are right here. Okay? Listen, God's called these five guys and said, listen, follow me. That's great. Wonderful. They all did. Wonderful. Praise the Lord. God's calling all of us to follow him. God's calling us to, to, to not be fearful. Yes, there's going to be some self-denial in our life, some things maybe we shouldn't do or can't do or, or not going to do anymore. And God also wants us to be led by his spirit to follow him. Okay? You ask yourself, what's keeping me? I, what's keeping me from following Jesus this week? What's keeping me from handing out a track? What's keeping me from praying? What's keeping me from coming to church tonight? You ask, ask yourself that question. Just what's keeping me from coming to another Bible study? Something is. Something is. It's not me. What's keeping you from doing it? You think about it. You write it down. You pray about it. Okay? And see if God doesn't work in your heart, that maybe it's fear, maybe it's some areas of self-denial I'm not doing, maybe I'm just not being led by God's Spirit. Okay, then think about it and realize it and pray about it and let God change you in your life, okay? All right, we're going to hold right there because we're out of time today. Um, I spent too much time talking, <laughs> talking about these five guys. But uh, listen, best news is what we're sharing at the fair this week. God loves us so much, he sent his son to die on the cross and pay for our sins. Isn't that good? I love sharing that yesterday. Whosoever believes in him. Guy who's talking to you said, well, I got to be good and I got to quit doing drugs. He's going to show up this Friday night. His name, his name is Dwayne. Pray that he shows up this Friday night for addictions program. You got to stop drinking to go to heaven? No. No. You got to stop doing drugs to go to heaven? No. You got to believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross. He paid your sin debt. And you don't have to. That's accepting that what Jesus did in place of what I'm doing. Okay? Let's have a word of prayer and we'll be done. Father in heaven, thank you for our study today. We talked about an awful lot. Lord, would you convict us? Would you challenge us to be disciples? All of us need to follow you. All of us, including the preacher, need to be constantly following you, constantly being a disciple of you. Lord, if there's some areas in our life that we're holding back on, would you convict us of those areas? If there's some areas of, of maturity, areas of, of rebellion in our heart, would you work in our heart, Lord? Would you change us from the inside? Would you convict us of those things this week? 
so we can follow you to the utmost. Lord, I pray if there's someone here today that has trusted in you as Savior, understood that salvation's a free gift, it's not of works. Lord, if they've understood that today, would you just bless them, bring them back to our service, and maybe even tonight at 6, and we could grow together. In your name we pray. Amen. very interested in you and your spiritual growth. If you want to contact Dayspring for prayer or more information, you can reach us at 262-404-5092 or on the web at dayspringbaptist.com. Thanks for listening.